So good morning, good evening, everyone, and welcome to this latest citation of the Indic Book Club's Writers' Open House with Otis. And uh, for those of you joining in for the first time, uh, I'll do I'll spend a minute on the on on you know what this is all about. So Indic Book Club and Indic Academy uh, do this. Uh, uh, open house writers open house every weekend on Sundays with Otis and the purpose is twofold firstly to uh, help writers improve their craft of writing and get feedback on it and secondly since we also have a thousand reviewers club where we are sending out uh, literally thousands of uh, books to people who have signed up to read and review these books we also encourage and invite people to submit their review pieces for feedback because a uh, critical part of uh, good reading is also the ability to write good reviews. And as far as the do's and don'ts go, we uh, encourage you to send your reviews to Otis and you'll find the sign up page and the email to send it uh, on both the Indic Book Club uh, Facebook page as well as the Indic Academy uh, website. And please uh, restrict your reviews or your writing pieces to about 800 words. Uh, in uh, in Times New Roman font size 12, double spaced, and uh, send it as a PDF so that it's easier for Otis to not only review, but he also uh, marks it up with his uh, comments. And what he does is based on the pieces that he gets, and do send them by Friday so that he gets some time you know to review and send uh, his feedback. So once he gets those pieces, he will read it. He will mark up his feedback and notes in the PDF itself and send it back to you. And then on Sunday, he goes through the pieces that have been received and uses that to not only give specific feedback on the on the pieces, on the writing pieces you have sent, but also mm -hmm. in general to talk about uh, uh, some of the, you know, the, the craft and the art of uh, good writing. And this is an open session. So, uh, you know, uh, uh, encourage all of you to, to ask questions and to participate in it. So with that preamble, Otis, I'm going to turn this over to you. Okay, thank you. Um, okay, I have a little technical glitch because um, as Abhinav is saying, it's, it's great if I get work on PDF because what I do is I then transfer it over to a program that I have on my iPad and allows me to do the work wherever I want to. And so, for example, yesterday I did the work while my daughter was having a, this is Oregon, so she was having a, like a horse riding you know, play date with a friend. So, so I was out there, you know, like in the field, the horses and, and I was reading, um, but my marks have not transferred back to my computer. It's supposed to sync between the two. So I am going to share my screen, but the, the screen I'm sharing does not have my markups. I was also, um, let's see, a little bit, uh, late on this because normally I'll just send them back to you when I've read them. Uh, but I haven't been in touch with my computer until just this morning, so I haven't sent them back to you either. So after this session, I will send you back all of your work with, with my marks on it. Um, uh, the first work I read yesterday is a rewrite from Jay, and so let me check and see if Jay is here. Yes, Jay is, uh, I saw him, John, so Hi. he should be there. Hey, Jay. I'm here. Great, thanks for um, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring up Jay's work to start with. I think we I think we started with your work last time, so you're getting like preferential treatment here. 
Um, <laughs> if that's the way you want to look at it, it's like. Um, but uh, you had a question for me in your email, and yeah. uh, maybe. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about your project and sort of like what you're struggling with, because I think your question is a great one, and then maybe I can try and answer it. You want to share it with everyone? Okay, so uh, the for example, the can I go ahead? Yeah. Okay, so the write-up that I shared this week and last week uh, are retellings based on the Mahabharata, where the the plot already uh, exists, so to speak. So what we are doing is we are just identifying gaps and building upon them or giving a different or, or attempting to write or say the story from a, speak the story from a different angle or bring in a different perspective to this. But if we were to uh, attempt a completely, you know, uh, from the ground up kind of a story, in which case you have the larger structure where you have a set of characters, you know, where you're starting with them with, and you know where you're going to end them with. But you do not know how to get from this place to that place. What are the, what the, the smaller elements, the micro elements that come into this picture in order to take them from point A to point B? How is that the route? How does it work? How does that journey work? Uh, how do we build in these plot elements? Uh, how do we have loose threads that we later then tie up? How do we ensure that some of these plot elements are interesting enough for the reader to stick with us from the beginning till the end? Or the other one, uh, the other one is, is, uh, is, is based on a historical incident. But the only information that we have about this incident is a small paragraph from an inscription. Mm-hmm. Now, that is about a, a naval campaign that happened in the 11th century. So all we have is one simple paragraph. From, from a temple inscription. Now, the idea is to see how we expand that entire plot that we find in that temple inscription to go bigger and bigger into the size of a novel. Mm-hmm. So, okay. how do we and bring... Yeah. yeah, Jay, why don't you tell a little bit about the, the section that you're writing about right here just to get everyone up to speed. Well, look at that. Oh, my... oh that all updated. Cool. Um, tell us about the section that you're writing about. Mm-hmm. So this is uh, like I was saying. This is a this is based on the Mahabharata. This isn't a ground-up kind of a separate thing as such. Well, I mean, just this just this one section. So you have Shona um, with uh, the parents, right? Yeah. So just tell us a little bit about that. Just what you've set up and what you're trying to do with this section. Uh, this is not the entire naval naval battle. This is just one moment of it, I imagine. I'm sorry. So uh, this is, uh, I mean, we find them again on the journey that they are taking to go back to the battlefield, uh, similar to what, what the last week's write-up was. So this is uh, another part of uh, that. Uh, I mean, it's a longish 10,000 word post from which I shared one part last week and I've shared another part of it. Okay. Okay. Well, let's, let's try and dig in a little bit. Okay. So it can be, uh, it can be sometimes a little confusing to talk about something necessarily specifically. 
So what I'm going to do is I'm going to okay. try and reverse. I'm going to try and reverse engineer what happens in a story. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, so, the the part of scent starts somewhere in between and ends somewhere in between. It's not a it's not a post by itself, because there right. was a one thousand word limit. So I've just cut a one thousand part uh, one thousand word except and I've sent it over. Okay. Well, so like so like I'm saying. So your question is basically how do we take something where we have a certain collection of facts that we want to represent because it's a story that's known, and how do we make it a story? So I think we have to understand that there's a difference, obviously, between an inscription on a temple that, that captures these facts and chronicles them maybe as a historical moment and what we end up doing as a story. What I think my, my, my first sense of an approach to it is <clears throat> to think that all stories are about human beings. So when we have an inscription, let's say it's 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years old, and it has the name of a person, we think of that person as kind of um, in a sort of abstract way. We don't necessarily think of them as a human being who are like us. But our stories, regardless of what our stories are, are about human beings who are engaged in a certain kind of, um, well, what we will call an arc of character. Okay, so, which, this is, the arc of character is fundamental to the story, because this is the thing that the reader <clears throat> reads, ideally they get to have an experience through the vehicle of your, our protagonist, and let's say for the sake of argument right now, just one protagonist, okay, so let's, you know, since we're, since we're starting out, and there's plenty to do in that. It's sort of like saying, um, okay, I'm going to work with one protagonist. It's like, well, I'm going to study the piano. Okay, so there's plenty to do in the piano for, the, for your entire life. You don't need to both play the piano and the banjo simultaneously in order to have a fulfilling experience as a musician, right? So one point of view is fine. So we have an arc of character. This is the... This is the the, the perilous journey, basically, of the character through which the reader gets to have an experience of peril, right, but in safety, and they get to learn something about life by reading about it rather than actually experiencing it. So if we, to experience it would be very difficult, but to read about it is very easy. That's how they become the audience. They would rather sit there and read about it than actually go out there and have this perilous experience. So, what we want to do if we want to flesh out a story is we want to think about what's happening to the human being. A story is, is okay, in a, in a simple sense, a story is about something happening. The thing that happens is an event the event offers the protagonist a choice and they make a choice and that choice is either in a sense comic and uplifting for them or that choice is tragic for them but either way the reader gets to have an experience of this journey that leads to essentially a life and death choice. Okay, that doesn't have to be actual life and death, 
but basically it's a determination of character. It's a, it's a how am I going to live my life choice. Am I going to live it this way or am I going to live it this way? And it's in a sense irrevocable at that moment. So the, the story gets to this point of choice and then the character makes one or goes to one side or another. Um, and that's the, that's the end of the story. That's the denouement. And it doesn't even need to be necessarily covered in our story. So <clears throat> that's a little sketch of what a story is. To understand the journey of character, we want to think of the protagonist as being essentially like ourselves. This is our imaginative work. We're talking about human beings. We're not talking about someone's name that's been inscribed on a temple, some famous, you know, that's abstract, right? That's, that's just a bunch of words. We need, to, we need to make that character flesh and blood because it's the, it's the decisions of flesh and blood characters that are meaningful to the reader who are also made of flesh and blood, right? Does that make sense? Like, we don't want to read about vapors. We can't learn anything from the decisions of vapors because we're human. So we learn from reading about humans. Um, so one way to think about then constructing a story that's based on certain facts is you want to think about the character and think about where they make a choice. Okay, where's the choice? So the choice is going to be actually the resolution. <laughs> so, so what the, then, then we, we say, okay, we have this choice. And they decide one way or another, let's not worry about that right now, but we know that we're getting to a choice. Something is going to happen. They're going to be forced to make a choice. It's not a willing choice. They're forced to make this choice that is of life or death. And that's going to determine the rest of their lives, in a sense, until we get to the next story. But that's for later. So once we get there and we understand there's a choice, now we reverse engineer and we think, okay, when did they start down this road to having to make this choice? Does that make a little sense? So just to repeat that, when did they start down this road? Before, they were just, they were living willy-nilly. They were going to feasts and they were, you know, having a great time. Maybe they would go, they would go, you know, do some archery or they would go bungee jumping. All these things would be fine. But at a certain point, something happened and then they're like, wait a second, I'm going to take the bull by the horns, metaphorically. I'm going to make life happen the way I want it, and I'm going to do this thing. They basically commit to a path. They commit to that path, and it does not go well for them, basically. Until they get to a moment where they're like, oh my god, I need to make a choice. I'm either going to die, metaphorically or actually, or I'm, or I'm going to make a choice in which... I'm forever changed in order to live. But forever changed, we should understand when the character is forever changed, it also is a kind of death. Because the old character, this person, is gone. And a new character arises. Right? So, that is the standard of the story. And it's a, it's a really big standard, basically. I mean, we're basically saying that something happens. So in life at large, right, this is why we're writers, this is why we're storytellers, and this is why people come to us to listen to what we have to say, 
is because we always come out and we tell a story. We don't come out and just talk about life happening. Oh, you know, the other day I, I went to the store and, um, yeah, I bought some canned soup and some rice and then I came home. Like, we never tell that story, right? Because nothing happened. Most of life is filled with nothing happening. I hate to break it to us all. Nothing happens. We're never forced to make a true choice. We're never forced to make a real change. So nothing has happened. But we love to read about things actually happening. Well, we're living a life where nothing's happening. We love to read about things actually happening so that we can grow because we still want to grow from experience even though we're not having any experiences. That sounds cynical and... But anyway, there you have it. So <clears throat> we have a character that gets to a place of choice, and now we need to reverse to when did, they, when did they commit to going down this path that forced them to make this irrevocable choice? That will be our start. And we want to okay. think about them as human beings. This might be a place where you really actually have to do a lot of imaginative work. The other thing to think about is, what exactly is that choice? That choice isn't... So, someone holding a knife to my throat and killing me is not a choice that I make. Okay, we're talking about a choice that I make. We're talking about a choice of the protagonist. We're not... I, I, I want to repeat this just so that we really understand. We're not talking about a moment where there isn't a choice. Right? And I think that that might be part of the problem with going to historical texts because you read them and you're so familiar with the story as it moves through time that you're just, you just start to think of all of it as being inevitable. So you just chronicle the events as they happen because that's the way it happened according to the history. But we have to see the human dimension behind the story and we have to see the difficulty and the peril, which is the result of a conflict of two things that result in a choice. And that's the work that we have to do. So <clears throat> let's take Shona. So I don't know the story of Shona, but I can imagine maybe a little bit. Um, Shona is described already as old, and then he has his older parents in, a basket, in these baskets. So... If I was thinking about this story, I would think about what is his choice? Well, it seems to me, and, and we're here at the moment of his, um, you know, he's by this tree and there's a river. And, and right now, as you're telling it, he's thinking back about the past to sort of fill in and give us exposition about why he's here. So yep. that's not really part of the story. Exposition is never essentially part of the story. What is part of the story is the character beginning and arriving at a choice. And so <clears throat> this is just, it's not, there, there are thousands of ways for us. This is what we do, actually, as writers. We find the story behind the facts. We find the story. And it's based in character and it's based in, in human motivations. So if I were thinking about it, it seems to me when he's here at the river, the choice that he might have is 
whether to continue to carry his parents or not. <laughs> Basically, whether to abandon them to their deaths. Forgive me, because I don't know the story. And I know that you, you have feelings, you know, about the nobility of your characters and all of that. I don't have any feelings about nobility about any character. Human beings. Human beings are complicated. We do things for many reasons. Uh, and anyway, you, you, Jay, you understand. So anyway, I would think about him, if this is the story that you want to frame, I would think about the choice between abandoning his parents and living his own life or continuing to carry his parents. That's what I would think about. And so I need to bring him to a moment, <clears throat> right? He didn't think about that before, right? When his parents, I don't know what the circumstances are, so his parents are like, hey, you know what? We're sorry we're not able to go anyplace or we need to flee. Can you take us with you? At that point, he does not think whether he should abandon them or not. Because of who he is, he commits to taking them. Yeah. But as he takes them, it becomes more and more difficult. And they give him less and less of the sustenance that he needs to carry on this burden, is how I would, how I would play it. Okay. So that at a certain point, now it, it awakens to him, whereas before he just felt a sense of obligation. Right? He's basically compelled to do this act, carry his parents. Now he's actually gotten to a moment of what we would call free will. That's another right. way to think of stories. That stories are a complicated issue of free will because it's not exactly free will. Um, it's an expression of will where you actually lose on both sides. Right? Does that make sense? So the expression of free will is in a dire circumstance in which you either, you either perish by remaining the same, deciding to remain the same. I want to emphasize that. So not just remaining the same, like a downward travel, but deciding to stay the same or deciding to completely transform yourself, in which case your old character is also gone. You're completely different. The world is new. Does that make sense? You're, the phoenix going into the flame does not rise out as a phoenix, right? The phoenix mm. in the flame rises out as another thing. So the phoenix is gone. The phoenix is dead. The new thing exists. So it's really a lose-lose situation. Right. <clears throat> it's a lose-lose situation. But they make mm. the choice, and and if it's a positive choice, they reach a new kind of, through this evolutionary process, which it kind of is, through this evolution, they, you know, we, we often depict that as transcend, a kind of trans, transcendent moment, even though it might not be positive. It might not be, it's not like you suddenly have riches and et cetera, et cetera. It's like, that's an easy choice. Oh, I choose to, you know, have all the treasure in the palace. You know, like, that's not a choice. But they, they're transformed, and what we do as writers is we basically, in, in our way, we glorify this kind of transformation, this difficult transformation. So, if I'm dealing with Shona, I have him saying, you know, his parents are like, we must, let's say, we must flee the city. Uh, uh, how will we do that? Uh, we can't walk. And then he grabs, he dumps out rice or whatever he does, and he puts his parents in the baskets, and he puts them on, their on his shoulders, and he starts. 
<clears throat> as time goes on, so he has no choice there. He just does it because of who he is. But then he gets to a point where he's underneath that tree. And he looks at them. He looks at the water. He thinks about himself, right? <laughs> he looks at them again. He gets up. He takes a few steps. They say, where are you going, son? He says, uh, nowhere. I, I, have to, I have to relieve myself behind these rocks. He goes behind the rocks. He hunkers down. He looks this way. He looks that way. He sees a little path. He could take that path, right? So that's also a great way to think of it. The choice is a kind of two paths. How are you, how's your life going to go, this way or that way? Who are you going to be as an as a expression of free will, not as an expression of compulsion? Mm. Mm. So, and, and you might see, Jay, you don't have any of that information from the inscription. You have none of that. Yep. That all of yep. that that I've just talked about is up to you to imagine, and and you imagine it because and the way I imagine it right now is I basically was like, well, what if this was my my thing? <laughs> you know, <laughs> what if I were doing this? And and I have to be honest. There's a certain point where I'm not going to want to carry my parents who are close to death anyway, and I still have some life left to me. And it might be time to cut the cord, particularly if I feel like this is going to go now instead of me living and them dying, um, we're all going to die. Okay. Uh, you know, now, now I'm, we have to make that choice real. So that's a, that's a little bit of a way to discuss how you go back and you basically, so my argument will be for us is that there's always a story there. So I believe that the story that I just told about this character exists. I believe it's a true story because I'm doing my best to try and understand the truth of the circumstance. Um, but it is up to us in any situation to find the story. And yeah, so it's, it's something, it's something like that. It's, it's very hard work because your hardest work is that you have a story. You, you basically have something that you think of as a story already. And you're basically locked into that as opposed to taking mm -hmm. the step yourself and going into the imaginative realm, which is not to me. So I just, I actually just said this the other day, yesterday, maybe I was like, Imagination is not an imagination of what isn't there. It's not an invention. Imagination is the tool that we use to see what is there. I think that's pretty good. Quote that. You know, so we use our imagination to see the, the, the truth of that story at that moment, you know, and that's, it's very difficult because it means that we go into uncharted territories ourselves. We had the story that we just, you know, rested upon, but now we're actually kind of making it, it can seem we're making it our own. It's. So that, that's, that's it, Jay. That's the long answer to your very 
complicated question that probably doesn't really touch upon. I really I want to emphasize it does not touch upon the, the difficulty of what you're trying to do. But okay. this is this is why they this is why they pay us the big bucks, Jay. Okay. Um, Thank you. And and you're getting and you're getting there with this character too, like so. And the way that I the way I think about discovering characters is get them interacting with other characters. That is the that's the primary thing. And you have him interacting with his uh, older brother who was found. I love I love these old stories, and I love how they are very cross cultural too. The, the the brother that's found in the basket. Um, and uh, and is like the, the heart son of the parents. So Shona has been like just the dutiful second son in a lot of ways. And we'll notice that the son, the first son who was found, he's like, I'm going to go out and find my destiny. You're going to take care of the parents. Yep. Well, I mean, that sounds good. That's sure. That sounds good for you. That sounds good for you. You go and find your destiny and your guru. And I'm going to take care of my parents. You take care of our parents. That's great that you decided that. Um, so you start to see the real human interaction when you get human characters on the page interacting. That's so. It's okay for us not to know what the story is, but the root okay. for us understanding what the story is is to get human beings, flesh and blood characters, interacting with each other. Then when we see them interacting, as you have it right. I don't know that you intended to have the older brother basically say, you know, I'm going to do for me and you're going to do for us. I don't think you intended that 100%, but that's what I read, right? So okay. when, we get, when we get human characters interacting, also the reader and the writer can begin to see them more deeply. But if we, right, I'll leave it at that. Um, that anyone else or Jay, Jay or anyone else have any questions about this as a conversation? Ashvani, what do you, what do you think? I think when you uh, talking about this context, uh, there is an artificiality about writing something which has happened in the past or which is already chronicled, and now you are trying to add another dimension. So the choice is with the writer, whether he, how faithful he wants to be to the original story and how much of his own fiction he wants to add. But I guess, like you put it, the ultimate, uh, you know, test of the success of that story is how much he's been able to carry the reader along with him till the end of the story. Right. Right. And, and, uh, but I, I am I am saying too. It's not. I like this idea of fiction. Uh, fiction is the idea of fiction is fascinating to me. Um, stories don't include everything. So what we're doing is we're including what hasn't been included. I mean, we're we're trying to find it. And and yeah, in in this way, in a very interesting way, for us, like. I don't want to get all mystical about it, Jay, <laughs> or any of us, but you know, there's always been storytellers, 
Okay? There's always been storytellers. So yep. we're just we're just this generation of storytellers. All right. The storytellers in the past heard stories and told stories. They heard stories and they told stories. They heard stories and told stories. We have heard stories and we tell stories. So it's a slightly different way of thinking about it. Um, Ashvani, like, we can start to think about these stories as being, you know, essentially and literally etched in stone. But they also aren't, hmm. I'm saying. So, like, there's okay. two things going on. Yes, we have stories etched in stone, and yes, we have storytellers continuing to tell them. I mean, uh, someone was just reminding I was just talking about Shakespeare. Um, you know, in Shakespeare, you're talking, that's only the 1600s. That's the 1600s. Come on, that was like yesterday. You know, in, uh, for, for Indian culture, that's like, that's yesterday. But anyway, so Shakespeare retold stories. He did not invent those stories. He retold stories. And yeah. we can retell his stories. Uh, someone reminded me that West Side Story is a retelling of Romeo and Juliet. How many times have we seen Romeo and Juliet? It's a story of star-crossed lovers, right, as we all know. Shakespeare yeah. did not invent the story of star-crossed lovers. And I'm certain you will find star-crossed lovers in the Mahabharata, right? So, all of us, throughout all of humanity, we keep retelling these stories. It is one of the things that we do in order to understand the world. And we keep regenerating them and making them new. I mm. think it's, it's a calling. It's a calling. Well, thank you, Jay. I uh, appreciate your work and your thoughtfulness about it and uh, taking on these very difficult struggles. I, it sounds like a joke when I say this is why they pay us the big bucks, because no one, of course, is going to pay us the big bucks, really. I mean, that's that, that, that probably is not going to happen. But what we are doing is difficult. I mean, we are choosing, I think writers choose to do the most difficult thing that they can imagine doing. And they somehow take some kind of uh, sadistic, masochistic pleasure in doing it. I don't know why we do it to ourselves, but we do. It's, it is very difficult. And so I, I want to acknowledge that. It, it is. Um, and uh, I appreciate you uh, taking it on. And I think you're on a good path, a very good path, by putting human beings on the page who are physical. The more we put physical beings on the page the better we do because then we have to grapple basically with physical human beings not abstractions and those physical people on the page are kind of like uh, they're like our antagonists if we're a protagonist we put those physical characters on the page and we're like oh my god why are they not behaving the way I want to why are they telling me things I don't want them to tell me um, Okay, I better move on. I had we had I knew that that was going to be a big one. So uh, some of the other ones were going to be a little bit, um, a little bit quicker. Um, let me let's see. All 
Oh, this is a good one. So, oh, one of our one of our criteria is do please on your on your um, on your work put your name and some kind of title on it because of the way I work, I take your document and I put it into a different program. And then I actually send it back to you, not to over explain it, but I send it back to you on, from that program. And if I don't know who wrote me, I don't know who to send it to. And it means that I have to backtrack through all these other ways that are just time consuming. And don't, don't, don't allow me to do what I love to do, which is to read the work and, and criticize it. <laughs> um, and just by, oh, I, by way of, uh, uh, I, you know, I sent out a newsletter earlier in the week and I attached a Word document to it uh, with a pro forma template of uh, what people can use with, you know, with the right font size, uh, font face, uh, uh, you know, spacing and uh, file name and everything. So if people have got that, uh, you know, please do make use of it. Uh, you can rename it to your document and you can obviously, you know, replace a text with whatever uh, you are writing. If not, just uh, let me know. I will either send it to you or I'll share the link of that document uh, with you. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, it's funny. I've, I've, I've obviously submitted so many things to journals and they have all these strict rules about how everything should be, you know, I'm like, why are they such, you know, such fascists about this, you know. I mean, what's going on with them? And uh, but now I understand it a little bit better because when you're also when you're reading so many things that are different, you it kind of it's a little bit fracturing. Okay, so this one is titled Aman. Who wrote it? You're going to be our object example. Uh, this is me, Madhavi. <laughs> you're like you're like oh no, all this attention, Madhavi. I don't think you'll forget for next time. Anyway, sorry about that. Um, we, but but the workshop is all about object examples, so we just have to get used to that. This is a workshop. We are doing all of it is is work, you know, for us. We're not. Um, it's not in a sense out in the world. We're really trying to um, get after all of this. Okay, so um, in this piece. Mudhavi, maybe tell us a little bit about this piece. What were you What were you going for? I'm I'm recalling it as I'm looking yeah, at this, it here. This is a piece of general fiction. Basically, I'm developing a story, uh, which is based in India. The central character is Indian, and uh, he hails from uh, Madikeri, southern parts of India, but he's studying in northern parts of India. Uh, this person has a vision in life, wants to do something, and uh, uh, like. In the name of family, he has his uncle with him. There are a few issues. So uh, this particular story opens up with him uh, having a nightmare because there are uh, like uh, holidays approaching. He has to go back home and he doesn't want to go back home. Then when he ends up going back home, something triggers, uh, some incident takes place and uh, there is some problem and his uncle ends up blurting out a secret to him. So that is the uh, plot line. Okay, I like that. Yeah. So then uh, how the interpersonal dynamics shifts and uh, how things change for them, that would be the later part of the story. Okay. So far, I have covered uh, half of it, like what I had envisaged, I've completed half of it, but I haven't shared it with anyone. Okay. So this is the first time oh. I'm putting up the, uh, these are the first few opening uh, lines of the story, basically, the first chapter. Okay. 
Okay. Um, well, I. So, I, of course, I did not know, right? I should have uh, given you a synopsis, but I failed to do no, so. No, 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 no. I, I'm going to say, as, you know, as I begin reading, of course, I don't know that it's a dream. So, I'm going to tell you a couple things about dreams. Okay, so I, I just. There's no reason not to tell you what I know, right? You know, so I, this is something that I had a I had a professor. He he written a he wrote a couple of movie scripts and he wrote a number of books and and he was kind of glib and he was a little bit like had a little Hollywood sheen to him, you know. But he's he said in one of the workshops he said, okay, in your entire literary career you can only write two dreams. Do you want this to be one of them? So that's what he said. I, I, I always appreciate that and, uh, and have taken that to heart. You know that you have to sort of try and interpret that, but it's like you get to only write two. <laughs> so so is this going to be one of them? I mean, you have a, I, I love when we start thinking about an entire literary career. We're going to have 40 books. You know, we're going to have opportunities to write dreams all the time. The, I think what it what it points to is the trouble with dreams is that dreams are not really happening, right? So, with, you, and it's very common, and I, I, I know that I've written a story like this, where you go through this whole thing, and then they, at the end, they wake up. And it's almost, it's, almost a, it's almost a joke, you know, among writers, because we've all written one, and they all kind of don't work in the same way. Because basically what you do is you get the reader involved in something and then you essentially tell them it's a trick, right? You, you tell them that there's something perilous going on. And remember, I was talking with Jay about basically a story is about peril. And the contract of the story is that you get the reader to be involved in experiencing that peril and going on this journey, this arc of character, and then something comes of it. But in this case, what we do is we... Writing a dream or anything in which there's no consequence, really, finally, to the actions, we, we get the reader involved in what's going on, emotionally attached, and then we tell them that we're just kidding, which is something that only the writer can do. I mean, we, and when we play a trick on our reader, we lose the bond of trust that we have with the reader. And when we lose the bond of trust with the reader, it's very hard to get it back. The flip side is you cannot lose that bond of trust by telling us that we're, we're involved in the dream, but we still have the same problem of they're not really flesh and blood characters that we, sometimes we express this in writing as skin in the game. Skin in the game means there's actually a human being who can suffer and feel pain from what ends up happening. And in a dream, we don't have that again. So we want to think about that. Um, I, what I found in this piece in general was I, I, admired, uh, I admired the development in this piece. So you have three clear stages of development. And I think that that's very good. Like you understand, and, and I can tell from your plot that you understand, that you want to have this development sort of in, like, in chunks, basically. So this is something that I've been thinking about quite a lot lately, is that writers, when they start out, 
they think of writing as just being a linear experience, right? They're typing this word, this word, this word, this word, right? They're just going like that. But our experience of writing for human beings is that that, that action, that always being on the razor's edge of the experience with each and every word, is one a little bit confusing and it's not really the way we process information. We need a little more time to process information and we can think of that processing time, I've talked about it a number of times as being like the paragraph, but it's definitely some kind of chunk. We go into one kind of experience for a while and then we go into another kind of experience for a while. And then we, and in your case, you go into three. So understanding that you're creating one experience, this sort of desperate experience, then he wakes up and I'm trying to think, um, I'm trying to, uh, you know, he wakes up sort of, we come into this, this new experience where he wakes up and he's sort of disturbed by having his dream. And then we have the sort of mundane life that he lives that he prefers, obviously. So I like that you have that development. The trouble, the trouble with probably all of it is that there aren't other characters involved in those emotional experiences. And so this is a quick way to think of it, you know, going back to this idea of peril. So the thing that's most perilous, sometimes the thing that's perilous for human beings, so go back to the idea of skin in the game, physical human beings. Sometimes the thing that's most perilous for human beings is a tiger, right? But in the modern culture, that's not usually the case. Tigers or, you know, some other predator is not really the, the thing in which we must make a desperate choice one way or another. The, the large animal that each of us deals with that's perilous to each of us essentially every day are other human beings. So that's how I look at it. You know, other human beings are the things that put us individually in peril. I am not in peril. I mean, one of the reasons I like writing is because I get to control everything on my own, right? I think all writers like that. They're like, other people are really difficult. I just want to be here writing. I, I understand that about myself, right? Because other people are really difficult. They want what they want. They don't, always, they don't seem to always want what I want. Uh, they want things for themselves, etc. And all of those things fill me with difficult emotions as I try to also get what I want from them. So I'm putting that out there as a way to think about our storytelling since uh, putting characters in peril is really our number one job. Having them have dynamic interactions with other characters is probably the first place we have to go. And when we don't do that, we're doing something less than dramatic. I mean, I'm really telling you all that, all that I believe. You do what you want with it. The problem, it's not that what you're writing here isn't good, but you have to compete with writers who are not going to do solo difficulty. You are going to have to compete with writers who are going to immediately create dramatic situations that start from the get-go and are really happening. And that's, 
That's what we think about as writers. It's not just what we want to do, right? What I want to do is probably just, I mean, I would just like to type and listen to the music of the keys, right? I mean, that's what I want to do. But at the end of the day, I'm in competition with the best writers, not only the best writers I know, but the best writers who have ever been, right? I'm in competition with all of those writers to get a reader's attention. And so pretty much I have to, I'm obligated to do the best that I can do in order to achieve that. Um, and I think, I think one of the ways is to increase that level of peril and we increase that level of peril by being, um, by offering up dramatic, we're really dramatists. We're dramatists working with characters. We just happen to have a stage that's in, in a way infinitely expansive, but we really are doing the same work as a dramatist. We're doing the same work as a playwright. We do it slightly differently because we're able to go into the point of view of our protagonist character, whereas a playwright or a movie, they cannot do that very easily. Does that make sense? So yeah. that, that, makes, that makes our ability as writers, we have this, we have this incredible tool, which is to move the consciousness of the reader inside a protagonist character. That is a very, very powerful tool to basically, you know, as, as people say, make, make the character an avatar for the reader's experience. That's something that playwrights cannot do. That's something that movies cannot do. It's something we can do. And I think we should take advantage of our strengths because we're not only in competition with all these other writers, we're also in competition for people's time against all those movies, all those playwrights, all those everything. We're in competition with everybody to get someone's time to come into our story. So anyway, that's a little bit of a speech, Madhavi, but... Um, that's pretty but insightful. Think, yeah, but I think, I think that this is a really good start. I really appreciate your understanding of having the blocks of experience because, because that is, though I'm saying that the, the nature of those experiences could be enhanced, okay. right, um, in terms of the skin in the game, in terms of the peril, that you have them is, the first, is really the first element to our storytelling because it makes us have a sequence of events, one, two, three, and there's a clear line of development between one to two, two to three, that starts me on the road. That's the logic. The logic of this story is here. And I hope that that's from this discussion that that will be something that every one of us takes away. Um, does anyone have any questions about um, those ideas, um, particularly about dramatizing? I think that that's one of the things that we really should, you know, there's a number of things that we should just, you know, write on a sticky note and put on our computer, but to dramatize situations between characters, even if, you know, you might say, you might think that when two characters are on the stage together or anywhere, that there's nothing going on because you're so used to it. We as writers 
you know, just as we were saying with Jay and his work, we want to bring the story out. There's no time on earth, it seems to me as a storyteller, that we put two characters on the page where one character doesn't want something that they want, and the other character wants something that they want. That is a conflict. It might not come, come to blows, right? It might not come to that, but it comes to things like, Honey, would you mind passing me the sugar? I'm sorry, dear. I cannot do it right now. I'm cutting my steak. Oh, I suppose your steak is more important than the sweetness of my tea, right? But there's a problem. There's always a problem. If there isn't a problem, we don't write it. <laughs> right? So it, we only write the times that there's problems because we need to be writing about peril. We sometimes have very difficult peril and then we have less peril, right? So we modulate the experience tension. We basically modulate tension. Very tense to somewhat less tense. Very tense, less tense. We do that for sure, but we never have a situation without tension. And tension requires two things, right? Um, I think of, I play Suzuki violin with my daughters, right? That string, the ability to make a note requires two things to create tension. There's no tension with one thing. If I played my violin and it only was, at, you know, tied in at the, the little Turner things up at the top, it would make no sound. Two things to create tension. But I, I'm losing, I, I feel like I might be losing you with my extended metaphor, but, um, but keep that in uh, mind. Keep that in mind. I have Always. a question here. Yeah. Uh, regarding yeah. Uh, creating uh, tension or uh, drama. Uh, for, if, if I talk about myself, oh. I find very difficult to put that in page. Uh, create a, when our life is, has, does not have the drama or or say the, the what, what's happening. As you say, it's not as eventful as the stories we write, as you mentioned. In that case, uh, when we are trying to dramatize some, uh, some event or write, about a drama, put put in some tension and drama in the story. Well, do I have to create a plot and give us some idea how to, you know, create an artificial kind of drama in the story when your life or some, I mean, uh, general, uh, not able to do it very well? Um, well, I'm going to differ with you because I want this to be a dramatic interaction between the two of us. Our life does have a lot of drama in it. But we don't notice it until we start to see where the drama is. I mean, I just told a little story about passing the sugar, and I made it dramatic. But we will have these experiences con continually, right? And we don't think anything of it because we have so many of them. It's up to the writer, and this goes back again to even what we were talking about with Jay. It's up to the writer to bring the dramatic circumstance out, right? So, so I'm just use sorry to pick on you jay but you know let's say we have the the guy you know the son who's sitting there at the tree with the two parents in a basket big deal right nothing's happening there's nothing dramatic happening but suddenly there is something dramatic happening if i'm if i say that that character is thinking about leaving his parents there right his will what he wants which is to be free and live life 
unencumbered by carrying his parents around in baskets versus their will that they want to survive to live another day and they want him to carry them around. Ah, that's a problem. That's a dramatic conflict. We have, we have dramatic conflict all the time. Maybe we could say that writers, <laughs> to, you know, maybe we, we lean a little bit towards avoiding them. You know, I know I do. And, uh, and we like to make up our own worlds. But the place where we make a really big mistake as writers is we think that we're going to make up our own worlds that are not going to have dramatic conflict in them, that it's all going to be peaceful and, and the way we want it to be. And that's not what ends up happening. Um, so, right. so Rella, I, I think that you have, you have plenty of drama, but as you become more experienced in your writing, you'll start to see it more and you'll start to understand it more because you'll start to see see the story even in your own life. I, I don't want to get, again, mystical about it, but I think that that's really true. As we pursue our writing, we start to see our own life more clearly. So while writing a plot or something, can I, uh, when I put in the, the plot uh, line or when I create the plot line, can I include those uh, like storyboard that plot line into and add drama there? Would you suggest us doing that? Well, I think it's a good idea to understand that every story has a beginning, middle, and end. And the beginning does, so this is another thing that I hold as a foundation for all our storytelling. The beginning does what the beginning must do. It must establish the conflict. And it must, it must establish the conflict and establish the point of view character. And we should have another thing that happens. Uh, Madhavi is already talking about it, but we need an inciting incident. Right? We need something that makes that character start to go, start to try to make the world the way they want it. So that requires something. Before this event, they were fine. They were waking up, they were you know, brushing their teeth, they were going to their job, everything was fine. But then something happens. We see this, if you want any instances of it, watch any movie, basically. There's always an inciting incident. There's a commitment of the character. So this is a plot point. There's a commitment of, a, of the character to a certain course of action. Then the middle, plot point-wise, is going to have a series of essentially escalating events where the character is trying to get what they want but failing to do so. This drives the character down to an inevitable choice where they're not able, right? All characters... And I would, I would go ahead and say all human beings want something. But the question of their life is, what do they want and what are they willing to do to get it? This is the, this is the personal drama of every single human being, I think. So those can be reflected in, in plot points. And then you know that you're going to have a plot point in which something occurs, basically, right, that precipitates the choice that they must make. I'm going to pick on Jay again. His character, Shona, right, he's been going along, going along fine, right? He's been doing great. He's been carrying his parents, but it's definitely difficult. But then he's sitting down underneath that tree, right? And I'm going to, I'm going to call it like this. This is how I'm going to see the story. He's sitting underneath this tree. He's sitting in the sun, 
He's thirsty. He's looking at the river. But the sun is moving. And suddenly, he's covered in shade. Well, that's a, that's a kind of a moment. That's a plot moment for me. That's a plot moment. The, the sun is moving. He's covered in shade. And he's like, he feels a sense of relief from the sun. And he realizes that he likes the sense of relief. And he realizes that there would be a sense of relief if he were not carrying his parents anymore. Right? That's a plot point. It's not, it's not like a, you know, a spaceship is landing. We don't need, that's not what we need. We need those things that trigger the character. Right? And trigger the character, and you'll notice how, how human I make it. Right? I'm talking about the human animal who's sitting out there underneath a tree. He's been carrying his parents, and suddenly the sun shifts or a cloud goes overhead. Right? Is that, who, who's, who's uh, designing that cloud that moves overhead and shields the sun for a moment and gives him this sense of relief, right? That changes his whole perception about what he's doing and himself. Right. Thank you so, so much. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you can see, you know, once we start to become involved in this stuff, it's really just, it's absolutely exciting i think after your suggestion i have kind i'm, I'm trying to find out plot in, in uh, natural soap operas also i'm trying to find plots almost everywhere i'm i'm whatever i'm watching i'm trying to uh, observe things that way after your suggestion yeah. your... well and and you'll see i'm always i'm always going to base all the plot points the plot points are actually not about things happening that are in the abstract. They come from character. Okay, so you know, like, well, I don't. I sorry, we probably can't bog down too much in plot points. But maybe, maybe next week I'll talk about my sort of fantasy story about Bonnie and Clyde, um, and what we could consider plot points. But they're not plot points. They have to do with character. They have to do with you know. It always. It always comes back to the human being that's at the center of our story. Uh, I uh, had a small query. Uh, may I? Yeah, sure, of course. Yeah, since we are uh, on this topic right now, this Aman, um, you said that we should have another character uh, to build the conflict. Okay. But then, uh, unless I establish his reluctance to go and meet the other character, uh, how will it be impactful to bring in another one? Just bang, like in the beginning itself. Well, so this whole chapter has been an attempt to tell the reader that he doesn't want to go. He has his own goals and his uncle wants him to be working in his diner. And this fellow doesn't want to. He wants to go into academics. So unless I establish this, how will the interaction be impactful between the two characters? Okay, uh, great question. So let me put it back. So do you think that there's any way that you can describe, um, so this, the kid, the, the son, does not want to work in the diner, okay? So we get that. So is there any way for you to show us that he doesn't want to work in the diner, for example, when he walks into the diner? Is there a way to do that? He is a character, right? So 
this is this is the way we start to think. He's a character. He doesn't want to work in the diner all the time. He's not just doesn't want to work in the diner today in these first opening yeah, pages. He doesn't he want doesn't to work in there. Okay. Right? So, so like, so, so if I'm thinking about it and I want to be more economic, uh, you know, I might be like, uh, you know, I, I don't think I know his name here, but you know, he, uh, he, he arrived, he looked at the sign of the diner, his father's shop. He knew it all his life. He reached for the door handle. He stopped. He withdrew his hand. He looked down the street. Oh, there was that old little bar that he so loved when he was young and he would play, you know, whatever, the lottery in there. Maybe just to go down there for a moment for a drink. Maybe that's the thing that he should do before he sees his father, right? Okay. So he doesn't want to go in. Having nightmares, probably we can give him a experience right. like right. real life experience yeah right okay, got it. the character is the character all the time not just some of the time so we don't that's i mean it's, it's very funny like as you're saying you want to establish the character and and i totally know what's driving you what sometimes when we're establishing character so we're we're actually exploring the character we're developing the character but the character once they're made right once we understand the character they're always their character they're complete we don't have to make them up out of thin air we're not making people out of sand we they're a character i mean this guy this guy when he wakes up and when he arrives at the diner and later on he's a guy that wants to do things his own way like every character basically yeah. and he want to fulfill obligations because he doesn't see the value of them and that's who he is so but that doesn't mean he's a bad person he's like everybody else that's important to remember he has his own aspirations yeah exactly exactly um so, so, try to work around. so that's right so so we 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 want to be very economical Right. So we want to have the dramatic action start to occur. And the way I think of it is like you we have a conflict. We want to get both those things on the page. So if his problem as an individual is with his obligation to his father, I would say probably the first place to start would be with the father. But if you did want to establish it a little bit, you could set that up with him. The, the symbol of his obligation is the diner that he does not want to work in. Right. So he gets to the diner. I would start right away. He's at the diner. Why wait? Since those are the those are the two issues. Those are the two things that create the tension. I put him on the page right away. Okay. Um, in uh, in the Greek, we call it in media race, which means start in the middle of the action. You could even start further in the action, even before. So the diner is even here. We could start further. You know, it could be the father says, you know, get that sandwich out to the table immediately uh, the son turns drops the sandwich on the ground and says you do it dad so that's the middle of the action right um, for us storytellers it's good to realize it doesn't matter in a sense because the, like we say, the character is always the character. They're the character until they get to this point where they have to make that choice. And out of that choice, 
they're going to either be transformed into not being that character anymore or basically going down with the ship. Yeah. That's the that's the tragic choice. The captain going down with the ship is the tragic <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the ship being the character. Okay, I better move on. Um, Thank you. Let me, uh, let's see. I want to go. Let's see. Ah, let's get. Um, is uh, Mohan here? Let's see. Uh, I don't. Uh, yeah, I don't see him in the list of uh, attendees. Unfortunately, he's uh, there under a different name. In which case, I'd request him to, you know, please speak up. Okay. Um, well, I guess I I will uh, move on. It's uh, yeah. I would better just move on. Um, this is uh, Acharya. No, I'm not. So this is again. I'm, I might not be certain who's asking, uh, who's writing this. Sorry about that. It's the way my programs work, and I don't I don't cross reference them myself. Um, is the is the writer of this piece here? This is a a pretty uh, deeply philosophic piece. And uh, for me, it was interesting. I, I feel like it was maybe uh, drawing on some Hindu philosophy. Maybe someone can, can get me up to speed with that, if, if that's the case. Um, we have the, is this writer here? We have the Jeevas and the Jagat. Um, I, found it, I found it quite interesting, actually. The writer's here. Again, if you're the writer of the piece, please speak up. No. Yeah, Maybe I'll, I will say something in, in case they come to the recording. So the the, the piece about the, the monkey and the peanuts, and actually this piece too, they have a kind of similarity in that they are um, they basically are offering something that's a little bit in the realm of self-help. Um, this this piece that's in front of me is sort of philosophical and it's talking about a philosophical issue and it says, you know, a question by a seeker and then in a sense there's a question and there's an answer. Um, the, the story about the monkey is a, you know, pretty well-known story about the monkey, the monkey jar, right, or the monkey fist where the monkey grabs the, the the peanuts and it's trapped, um, and and it's taken in an interesting way. I, I like, for me, I like that story because it's not abstract. I think and and in this piece also, this writer from time to time goes to concrete things in order to illustrate the abstract ideas. The, in my so as I think about the human being as a sort of storytelling animal, what we find is that our stories are usually concrete representations of abstract ideas. And that's because we as human beings understand the concrete world easily because it's all around us and we have that we have that common frame of reference. But the abstract world is much more difficult for us to retain and and discuss, you know. So we basically use the concrete to illustrate the abstract. Um, and both of these pieces to some degree 
used a concrete, the one uses the story of the monkey, and this one has a few uh, analogies to help us understand abstractions. But I think it's good for us to, to know in general that human beings do not understand abstractions very well. And generally, our job as storytellers is to find basically the concrete uh, example, if you want, the anecdotal example that speaks to an abstract notion. And the abstract notion that we're generally speaking to is this ability of human beings to transform themselves in a positive way in order to express their free will. That's sort of the abstract principle that we demonstrate in stories, I feel, generally, as a kind of, almost as a kind of ritual process. Um, both these stories are self-help. The trouble with self-help is that, <clears throat> I, I know it you know, might be, a, is uh, philosophy, how is that self-help? Or, you know, uh, in, in, in the story of the monkey, you might have to take my word for it. We're, we're deriving some life lessons from it. But the issue with self-help, if we present it to a reader, is who are we to be giving someone help is, is going to be the question. I would just be honest with you about that. You know, what, what, from what authority does this derive? Because what we find is if we, if we cast around and, and look at our fellow human beings, and even if we look into ourselves, all of us have a strategy for sort of optimal survival that we've developed usually. And so all of us have opinions on this. What makes one opinion better than another? And that we, we, have, we have that. So we want, we want to base, if we're going to move towards some kind of self-help, we want to frame it uh, somewhat with our, with our authority. Where does our, where's our ability to speak on this issue? How does that rise above let's say other people's authority to speak on the issue equally. So I'll just offer that a little bit about uh, writing things that are meant to be instructive. The thing about the prose when we're dealing with characters is that we're not really, that kind of storyteller, when we're dealing with characters in dramatic situations, I don't feel we as storytellers are really trying to be instructive. What we're trying to do is we're trying to see the life that's actually there and put it on the page and for that to be evaluated by the reader. So we are not, we don't come in with an agenda to instruct. We come in with an agenda to see clearly, basically to see a kind of what we could term a truth of life. We come in with a desire to see truth of life from which the reader can take something away. So it is, a, it is a slightly different thing. If we do come in with the purpose to instruct, we have to, we have to somehow convince the reader that we've earned that right, basically. Um, so let's see, that's that one. So Otis, how many more pieces do you have uh, for today? I know a couple of people didn't show up who had submitted pieces. Yeah, I think I just have this one. And um, 
this one was kind of long and so I, it's short and then Ram I was not able to read your longer work um, so I'm not, not going to be able to speak to that one today sorry about that Ram um, but Ram you should send me Ram do send me some send me a shorter sample um, will be better for me because otherwise you put me into <laughs> I have the difficult emotional situation of being like oh Ram I want to read all your work but I really can't and I don't have the time and then I feel bad and I feel bad about myself and then I have to watch a movie in order to feel better and you know go for a long walk so it's it lose I lose a lot of time that way I didn't I didn't send this as a submission uh, last week we discussed the play where I had just sent one scene so I thought okay. you might, uh, like to read the whole thing so this was not as a submission but for you right. to read your leisure okay thank you Ron um, okay um, I I did do some markups on this one, but I didn't read this piece all the way through. It's also it's also long, so I I didn't have time to get through all of it. Um, is this who uh, Krishna? Yeah, ah, yeah, there you are, yeah. Krishna Kumar. Uh, yeah. Do you want to tell us a little bit about this piece? Yeah. So this is again from the Mahabharata. One of the uh, most tragic pieces of the Mahabharata is the death of Abhimanyu, who was just 16 years old. So this piece tries to imagine that. Uh, that death and the surrounding, what led to that death, etc., from the angle of his wife, who was obviously less than 16 years, and what uh, trauma she faced. Mm -hmm. And this is being, um, so what I like about this piece is that it seems to be quite um, within a single point of view. So the, the princess, I think, who's being, uh, who has the dance instructor, is that right? Yeah. Um, so it's in her point of view. And I like that. The, the issue for me with the work is that, so there's a, there's a very common thing that we say in basically in all our creative writing workshops. And it's a kind of a shorthand to say show, don't tell. Show, don't tell means rather than telling the reader what's, what's happening from some perspective. Instead, we show what happens, and from that, the reader thinks and feels things, basically. Okay. And in this, in this piece, while we're in the point of view, well, it's kind of a little bit difficult, because we're, we're, we're hearing about this story from the princess, but in a way, we don't really have a physical point of view about what's going on. Does that make sense? She's basically telling us the story. Yeah. So in its way, and I think this is, this, is, this is why I think telling is weaker. So it's a shortcut to say show, don't tell. But the reason we want to show instead of tell goes back to this, this feeling, maybe I'm suggesting, that human beings are able to react more dramatically. I, no, it's... We're able to engage more fully with concrete information than abstract information. Okay. So, and then it's the same way of me saying, you know, I could come and I could tell you about a rock, right? And I could tell you about a rock all day and all night, and it would be all abstract. It wouldn't be there. Or... I could show you the rock, right? So, in terms of distance... I'm a reader, and I'm reading about an actual rock 
right? That's much more concrete to me. I can understand it. I can feel it. I can think about it. I have all the reactions that I might have to something that's material, as opposed to just hearing about it means that I'm, in a sense, I'm reacting to someone telling me something. Does that, you know, I'm, that's the action that's on the page is that someone is telling me something rather than the actual thing. Um, I once, I once expressed it like this. I, I was teaching a workshop on the Stanford campus at this time, and we were in this nice little seminar room with a big table, and I had a group, it was for continuing studies, so they were professionals from around the uh, Palo Alto area. And this, um, this guy wrote a story that I thought was wonderful. This was a, really a terrific story. It was about a father and a son, and they go up to Yosemite. Right, which is actually where this rock comes from, Yosemite. They go up to Yosemite and they find a, a camping spot. But the father says something, you know, tomorrow we're going to go up to this uh, high lake. And the child says, oh, I really want to go now. Let's go now. Let's go now. Let's go now. Let's go now. Like that, as kids can do. To get up to that lake, they have to go along this sheer cliff of rock that's almost exactly like this. And maybe this is why I'm reminded. And as they're walking, the father falls. And he dies. I'm reading along and I'm telling you, I'm absolutely riveted. I am riveted. The child comes back down from this cliff face of granite. And I don't, I can't remember if he scurries up to see his dead father or not. And, you know, then he takes the, the, the backpack and he sets up the tent. He can't go anywhere. It's getting dark. I mean, it's just unbelievable, right? And then the writer develops this, this section where, I mean, I hope he did something with his story. I thought it was just amazing. But he develops this section where the child is basically afraid, and he's making a metaphor. Like, the, 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 the child's fear is like a bear that he hears. Okay, that's the point I'm going to get to. So now I had my class, right? And I, and I told everyone that I just thought this story was amazing. But I said, okay, I want you to think about something. What would affect you more? If in the center of this table, we have a metaphor of a bear, or in the center of the table, there was a real bear, what would affect you more? We're all sitting around the table. I think we would all agree that what's going to affect us more is a real bear. That, I think, describes a little bit, I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm going really big with this issue, but I, but I, I guess I want to communicate how passionately I feel about it. It's not that you can't discard it, you can, but I definitely feel passionately about the fact that we want to have as few um, steps of abstraction as possible from the physical world that actually affects us. Because that's what we want to do for the reader, is we want to affect them. And so that's the very hard work that we do. Um, I think this world, as I've said, you know, like, this world is incredible. I love this eunuch, you know, who I feel is going to play such a, you know, incredible role, this dance instructor, right, who's also a charioteer. I just, I, I love this character. Um, 
the physicality of that character. Um, but I really want to experience, I want to experience the world for myself. I want to get closer. This is the work that we do as writers, basically, is we put our reader, I feel, into the world so that they have that incredible rich experience as if they're having it for themselves, that imaginative experience. Um, so, sorry. Uh, Krishna, sorry, that's a that's a lot to <laughs> that's a lot to throw on your work. Um, I love the story. I really want to bring that physicality out of it, if you can, to make it a little bit closer, uh, so that we don't. Yeah, <laughs> no, you're like stop, stop, done. <laughs> no, 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 no. I was just saying it's it's very useful. Uh, I'll try and uh, redo it, and maybe if I can send it once more. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, thanks for the feedback. Yeah. Um, and it goes, we, we've really been talking about this as a theme today in, in total, you know, with all of these characters. You know, we actually started with Jay and then through all the rest, you know, when we get characters on the page interacting with each other. I, I had a poet friend and we went out into the community and we taught poetry at schools. and. He immediately, the first thing he talked about was abstract words and concrete words. He said, to write effective poetry, you want to use concrete words. And, you know, inevitably some kid would be like, you know, what's a concrete word? It's like, and he would say, a concrete word is something you can pour gravy over. Right? So it's something that has material and substance. Because those words end up, you know, this is again going to the theme those things have an effect on us, like the real bear. Um, and uh, yeah, so something oh, to think you. about. Yeah. Any, uh, any questions about anything? Uh, hi, this is Navnita. And this was my first session over here. So I wanted to ask about um, the pieces which we submit. So can, uh, do they have to have a long plot or could they just be short stories of 800 or 900 words itself? Uh, they, they can really be anything that, that, that you like. Um, so no, they don't, have to, they don't have to be longer works. They can be short, they can be sketches. They can be anything that you're working on or interested in. We, I find from writing, I, I, I basically can come up with something to say no matter what, <laughs> because uh, writing reveals so much, and there's always something that we can work on. So whatever you want to submit would be great. All right. Thank you so much. Sure, of course. Uh, I want to inform uh, that uh, the interview I had submitted last, uh, last time, I, I got clear of the confusion that I had after your uh, feedback. I did go back to my editor and she did uh, tell me to stick to the interview format. So, oh, okay. And, and uh, told me how where to put emphasis on the guy winning that award. And um, and told me to check, check out all the unnecessary details and only give an introduction and the inter interview. So I just uh, told her what uh, how does she want it. And uh, thank you for clearing my doubt. And I'll, I'll share the interview again. And it, oh, okay. if you can, share me one sample of your interview. Uh, if you can, uh, share it with me. Oh, yeah, right. I, I, I forgot to do that. I'm such a bum. 
Sorry, I will. No, I'll no. try and get that out. Not at all. Um, so, I'll, or if you can just send me a link, uh, or I, I can just follow that up sometime. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Okay. Um, well, thank you all. Abhinav, is there anything more? No, I think uh, this is great. We have we are finishing right on the dot, you know, 90 minutes, an hour and a half. So everyone, I think, uh, uh, first of all, as, as I say every time, I will put this up on YouTube once we get the recording from Zoom. And secondly, uh, you know, do keep your pieces to about 800 to 900 words. And third, I have shared in the chat a link to a sample Word document. So please make use of that so that you can name your Word file uh, correctly when before you export it to PDF format. Uh, get the right font, size, face, uh, and all. And we will see you next uh, Sunday. Bye, all. Thank you. Thank you Bye. so much. Bye. Bye. -bye. Thank you, Bye -bye. Otis. Bye-bye.